welcome to Leaders Recon, where we will be discussing leadership, warrior skills, and other unique opportunities within the G3 Leader Development Branch. I'm your host, Joshua Carr, and today we will be discussing holistic health and fitness system with Mr. McGurk and Dr. East for the U.S. Army Center of Initial Military Training. Gentlemen, welcome to the program. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Before we dive into the subject here in uh, holistic health and fitness and the ACFT and whatnot, can you give us just a short little background on what's, you know, a unique fact about you? A little bit unique about me. Uh, I started my career enlisted in the Connecticut Army National Guard and then applied from the National Guard to go to West Point, was accepted, and then uh, commissioned in the Army, uh, served 27 years as a commissioned officer before I took this job. So you've not only seen the enlisted and the commissioned side, but also the Guard and active component. Yes, I have. So, and then Dr. East, what about you? So I, uh, I worked and taught uh, and was an administrator in higher education for 20 years before I went to work for the Army. Uh, started working for the Army as a faculty member at West Point for 15 years before I moved on to the uh, baseline soldier physical readiness uh, study, uh, which was conducted out of, uh, of IMT and uh, have been here since 2016. So how did you end up getting, like, what, what drew you to this project here? So my background is in test construction, especially for large sample mass testing. Um, so designed the candidate fitness assessment at West Point and have been on the uh, uh, work groups to design other nationally uh, norm tests. So when the baseline soldier test came up, uh, it, it drew me down here to, to work on that test. So before we dive into like the elements of the ACFT and holistic health and fitness, you know, the Army writ large, you know, fundamentally has changed a lot of its approach to physical fitness with these with this new program. Can you give us the driving force of what that is and what what the new meaning of this approach to fitnesses? Um, there's, there's several ways of answering that. I guess one of the short ways would be we've changed our focus a little bit from not comparing you against each other, but to comparing you against the requirements of what we need you to do in the Army. And that's a, that's a bit of a change for us. So it's no longer a test that's based on uh, normative values of a population, like the average number of push-ups somebody can do or the average number of sit-ups somebody can do but a test that's more based on, do you have the ability to do the jobs that we need you to do in the Army, which we based off the warrior task and battle drills? So we've, we've been uh, focused on training uh, that was on a, on a level that um, actually doesn't necessarily prepare a soldier to be able to accomplish those high demand tasks. So from a training perspective, uh, we've been following a model uh, that's evolved over the last century of group exercises using you know, body weight types of exercises. And what we know is it's uh, insufficient from an intensity standpoint to be able to gen uh, help soldiers develop the strength, power, and endurance that they need to to to, uh, to develop to execute those high demand tasks. So, I, I think that's a major part of 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 what we've seen in the change, especially with holistic health and fitness. H two F has been built to target a specific need, I guess, within the U.S. Army. Before we get into the nuts and bolts of that program itself, can can we discuss what that need is and what it addresses specifically? Um, so holistic health and fitness is a system. Mm -hmm. And when you look at it, um, there's obviously, you could look at parts of the system, but it's really helpful to look at a system as a whole. Okay. And so looking at the system as a whole, think about any other program you have in the military, um, such as maintenance is the most common one we use. You know, in maintenance, uh, there's a specific manual for how to maintain a vehicle, and there's things that you do at the individual level, and then the next level up, and the next level up. So operator level, 20 level, mechanic level, depot level, all the different things that have to be done uh, to maintain a system. And you know how you do, you know, daily checks, quarterly checks, annual checks. Well, the holistic health and fitness system establishes some of those type things for the human being as well. So. You know, what do we have to do to make the whole person better, not just 
looking at physical fitness, not just looking at mental fitness, but looking at all those things combined, nutrition, sleep, wellness, all together as a system instead of individually. That's a really unique perspective there. I think it's important that we, I think we've all acknowledged, you know, how you optimize performance. Um, I mean, there has to be a training aspect to it, but there are many more aspects to that relative to, you know, optimizing performance, such as nutrition, um, sleep, recovery, cognitive dominance, all those those components to it. We haven't really focused on those from from a kind of a comprehensive and holistic perspective. Um, we've had these disparate programs uh, that are generally outside of a, of a soldier's, you know, AO or chain of command. And so what we're trying to do is bring all those together in a central location. So number one, on a day-to-day -day basis, soldiers have access to those benefits or, or, or those individuals to help them, um, but, but also to, to, to provide that comprehensive nature that we need in, in the holistic health and fitness system. So. So can you tell us a little bit about that holistic health and fitness system, the H2F? Can you talk about the science behind that a little bit? So as you as you look at training, we understand uh, that there are a couple of key components. We have to have proper uh, regularity. We have to have proper progression. Um, but we also have to have proper recovery, which we don't necessarily do that well either, any of us for that matter. But that's all managed or magnified or, or kind of controlled with, with our sleep and our nutrition and, and, and the other aspects of our lifestyle that, that we need to manage to, to optimize that performance. So basically what we have is a, an opportunity to, to bring these together. And, and also important in this is the, the kind of the forward care nature of it, um, having care closer to the point of, of injury for a soldier so that we can actually capture those nagging little injuries that all of us have from time to time and prevent those from becoming major injuries uh, and, and to kind of keep soldiers together with their units while they're rehabilitating or reconditioning those injuries. So did you, I know you said your background was in research. Were you focused more on the like research and development piece of that? Um, um, or uh, oh, Different aspects of it because the, the challenge of standing up a whole new system is you've got to design everything mm -hmm. and you can't do it yourself. So the most important thing is to figure out how to build the team together that can contribute to it. And so the most important person I probably hired was Dr. East. And then Dr. East, and then what was your role? So, or is your role, I guess I should say. So we, we put together, a, a, the, the nexus of this process was the baseline soldier physical readiness requirement study. Okay. Um, the, 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 primary components of HQDA uh, XOR 04113, which was the baseline physical requirements study, was to determine what are the physical requirements of warrior task and battle drills, common soldier task, especially the high demand requirements, and how well does the APFT measure those requirements. And if it doesn't uh, do a, a good enough job to, to measure those requirements, what would we substitute for that? And so, there were two principal investigators, Major Dave DeGroote out of uh, U.S. Army Center for uh, uh, Public Health, and also myself here at, at CIMT. And uh, we actually ran the baseline study, which lasted about two years. And the results of that was a recommendation to change to the Army Combat Fitness Test. Oh, wow. So that's quite a bit that goes into that then. So the reality is we've actually been working this issue for the test standpoint since 2010. And there was an effort from 2010 to 2013, which ultimately was not successful. And we started again in 2013, hence 04113, to uh, start this process over again. I know it's exciting to see it all come to fruition now, because I feel like since my very first day in the military, they've been talking about the new PT test, and <laughs> here we have it. You've been able to team up with a number of kind of exciting organizations as, as you've developed, you know, holistic health and fitness, H2F, and the ACFT. Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
So the the first thing that we probably thought of very early on is um, you have to establish a solution that works for everybody. So we work to uh, we've got a really good team that we establish uh, active duty component here. Also working with uh, Captain Short out of National Guard Bureau. Uh, we have a National Guard liaison team here. We have a USAR liaison team here, and with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Cindy Gold out of a uh, USAR. So first we had to build a all three compo team. Uh, to do that. And then we've also worked with uh, major research partners uh, in the military and around the world. Hmm. So in the military, uh, the United States Army Institute for Environmental Medicine, uh, USARIUM up at Natick, we've worked with them. Uh, Army Public Health Center, uh, we've worked with Walter Reed Institute, uh, along with the University of Auburn, uh, University of Pitt, uh, the Australian military, the Canadian military, uh, the British military, the German military, the French, uh, so we've we've talked to a lot of people. So that actually leads me right into my next question, which was, um, you know, even though the United States is the world's premier fighting force, um, you, I know you worked with several other militaries throughout the throughout the globe. What you know, what which organizations stood out to you, and did you did we take anything from that as we went through developing this process? So I, I'd say the the Commonwealth model. Uh, and the Commonwealth model being the Commonwealth nation. So the, the British, Australian, Canadian uh, model uh, is probably the one that's resonated the most with us, I would say. And, and they have a, uh, an MOS or a duty that is a uh, physical training instructor, a PTI, as they call it. And that is a full-time job uh, for a select element of their military. And so we actually visited uh, one of their schools uh, and saw how it worked and then watched out and saw they did their training. And I think we came away pretty impressed with uh, what we saw overall. And, and uh, although their fitness test is different than ours and, and we're at different places in development of different things, um, globally, the way they do some of theirs looks like uh, an idea we'd like to adapt parts of. Yeah, I, I, I think the only other thing that I would add, which I, I've always found to be interesting and had the opportunity to have this conversation with some senior leaders from time to time is is virtually everybody copies us. Mm -hmm. So when we started revising the APFT, everybody went, well, yeah, the Canadians use something really similar and the Brits use something really similar. And my response was, yeah, because they're copying us. And so the bottom line is, as we've transitioned, we've already started to see other armies in other places uh, begin to gravitate more towards ACFT-like assessments. If not directly, then as a, a supplement or an adjunct to the, the, the PT test that they're using now. So um, I find that to be interesting in, in the long run. And, and it's also, it's not just uh, you know, doing like the other armies do. So if you think that the majority of our tests uh, were developed uh, in the 70s to the early 80s. Um, and so we've been using them for 30 to 40 years. And if you think about the technology changes, you know, 30, yeah. 40 years, um, you know, 8-track tape players and reel-to-reel -reel and Atari and Nintendo to where we are today, obviously things have progressed quite a bit. So it was well overdue for our PT test to progress as well, to be something uh, more modern, more relevant to what we're doing and the combat operations we're involved in. So I think that's important because um, not to necessarily a significant degree all the time, but if you start in the early 1940s, the Army revised FM 21-20, which was the old FM 7-22. Um, they revised it on about a five-year turn, and almost every five-year turn, there was it's insignificant to major changes in the test, both the name, the test events, and those types of things. We haven't changed anything in 40 years. That's highly unusual relative to the, the pattern of change that, that came th throughout that 1940 to 1980 period of time. So we've also, think about what's changed in terms of exercise science, in terms of training, in terms of how we train. Um, and I, I think it's, we're kind of at a, at a good time and place relative to, to changing the test. Well, like even, even you're talking about the evolution of technology, but even just like fitness in general, I feel like you look at records from the 1940s sure. on pretty much any event, physical event out there compared to the day when they're surpassed in some capacity. So running shoes, as you know them today, um, 
did not really exist in the late 1970s. Uh, the Army ran in boots. Hmm. Uh, it wasn't until the uh, uh, about 1980 where we started switching from boots into running shoes. True. Yeah, first PT test in 1980, the first three events were, they called it Utes and Boots. So they were in utilities and boots when they oh. took the PT test. So that was the first, almost the first three or four years. Which lasted up until 1985 in some locations. Oh, wow. So then going back to some of those other organizations, I know from the Guard's perspective, we've uh, done some, like in some capacity, worked with like TB12. I know that we sent some folks out to work with folks from the USC training side to examine some of their facilities. Um, have you guys done similar things? Was that spearheaded by you? Or? So we've done some, I would say the Guard does very well at it. Uh, the advantage the Guard has uh, is the close personal ties they have in the States. Hmm. So um, it's not unusual for the National Guard um, to have members of their team in the National Guard have civilian jobs that are closely related to the things that we're looking at. So that facilitates the partnerships uh, with them quite a bit. And um, I don't think any of us have found the exact solution yet. And I don't think we're going to find an exact solution. I think we're gonna find a multitude of solutions that work. Uh, and it's kind of our job as the national headquarters to try to help establish the left and right limits and say, hey, within this left and right limit, we need to find a solution that does this. Um, you know, I can't put a requirement on the guard that says, everyone in the guard is going to need to spend three hours a day doing this seven days a week. Um, that's unrealistic. I couldn't do it on the active army either, but I have to find out some, you know, some way to allow the guard to accomplish their mission, uh, to keep their level of fitness where it needs to go. And within the unique constraints that the guard sometimes has. Now I will say those constraints aren't as unique as some people would think. Um, probably about 30% of the active duty army as well, um, is remotely located. Um, ROTC, recruiters, uh, embassy duty overseas, uh, small assignments to other locations. Mm. Um, there's a lot of locations we have where there's no fitness facilities as well. So those solutions that we're looking for, um, we're going to find together and then we'll, we'll share them with each other and use them. I, th I think it's important um, for the Army writ large to have a presence, and, and I'll just address the Guard specifically in a state or territory as as kind of the nuxus of holistic health and fitness. Um, once you establish that, um, I think of them somewhat as kind of a circuit rider. They're, you know, they may be pick South Carolina, they may be in um, Columbia, and, and yet they may need to go to Spartanburg or they may need to go to Charleston, depending on where some training is at that particular time. Um, but what I found is, is um, the Guard really uh, has impressed me in terms of their resourcefulness and their ability to kind of ferret out the, 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 the solution to their problems. And if you look at states like Utah and Indiana and South Carolina and Georgia and West Virginia, they've really gone out on their own to develop a, a system, a holistic health and fitness system that um, meets the needs of their state and, and their service members in that state uh, that allows them to get the services that we talk about for holistic health and fitness. So I think that's really exciting. I mean, that's the whole, the whole point of it, right? They're a little bit adaptive to everything. Yeah. Um, so if you're going to sum up you know what is h2f i know we talked a little bit about the science behind it and that and that kind of development and purpose behind that but like we're talking about like what is the h2f system you know in a in a paragraph you know what would how would you define that so i guess what i would say is it's the first time we've looked at the human being as a complete system and gone after uh whatever we want to call it the repair maintenance upkeep condition of the entire system as a whole. So from head to toe, um, most of our stuff in the military focuses on the skin out. It's the uniform you wear, it's the weapon you have, it's the vehicle you drive. Mm. This is the first time we've gone skin in. Um, so what's really important is how their mental process is going. How are they thinking? How are they feeling? What are they eating? How are they sleeping? How physically fit are they? Um, if they're eating the right things, are they eating enough of it at the right times? 
You know, there, there's a whole host of things uh, that come together and allow us to get after uh, increased performance. And we know from all the research we've done, uh, from all the papers written, and, and everyone knows themselves, you know, you perform better when you do certain things. Mm. Okay, it's a matter of figuring out what those certain things are for you and making sure that you have the ability to do that and you can perform when we need you to. To me, it feels like it's taking that approach of almost treating your soldiers like you would athletes at like at like when I was at university, right? I felt like the the programs and some of the efforts to focused on athletes like health and diet and 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 readiness as all in preparation for competition is somewhat of the approach that we're taking for soldiers. Uh, yes and no. Okay. Um, yes, because with athletes, you know when the game is. Hmm. Right, so you're focusing everything. So on Saturday afternoon, they're ready. Our challenge with the military is we don't know when the game is, and we don't know who we're playing. So it makes it a little bit tougher. So you have to be ready every day. Yeah, I think the other, from a little bit broader perspective, is um, the fact that we've taken a model and adapted it to the army. But kind of this key underlying foundation is that it is comprehensive and that it's integrated. We we have always had disparate programs within the Army uh, that address, you know, performance triad, sleep, nutrition, physical activity, that address, you know, ready and resilience, that address. But those disparate programs uh, ha have not been integrated at a level that most soldiers uh, would would be able to access and and engage both my sons who are NCOs in the army, and I can absolutely tell you they're not going to walk across post to go to mental health or to go to you know any of those types of services. So what we're trying to do is integrate it inside the brigade AO or inside some operational AO, so that so that when they need that help. Uh, or that guidance or that support, it, it's already there for them. It's it's integrated and it's comprehensive. Not not everyone's had the experience of in processing or out processing a large military installation, but most of us have. And you kind of go on this magical mystery tour, whereas to out process, you got to go to the Red Cross building, which you have no idea where it is, and you have to go find it and get them to sign a paper saying that you don't have anything from there. Then you have to go find the library. Then you have to go find AER. Then you got to go find ACS. Then you got to go find CIF. And you end up spending an entire day wandering around everywhere, not getting a whole lot done. Um, and when we looked at fitness, we said, look, we can't have someone, you know, have to go to this place to see his physical therapist, then this place to go see his psychologist, and this person to go see an occupational therapist, and this person place to go see a nutritionist. They spend all their time wandering around and getting nothing done. And if it's a long distance from the unit, they just decide not to go. So by making this all available in one location, uh, in some models, um, that'll increase the utilization and readiness of it. That leads me right to my next question, which is the HGWAC program comes with a lot of civilian uh, integrations with physical therapists and, and coaches and trainers. Can you expound upon that a little bit and talk a little bit about the MOS specifically for the H2F trainer? So part of it is that if you're going to do something, you have to have the right people to do it. Um, if I take it back to the analogy of working on your car, um, you know, if you own a nice car and you drive it into a shop someplace, you don't want just anybody working on your car, right? You want a mechanic working on your car and you want that mechanic to have been to certain schools and have certain certifications. And if he's going to balance the tires, he better have had a course in how to balance tires, right? And there's probably a different mechanic that does exhaust system than balances tires because they're completely different jobs, right? And then some people are good general mechanics. That's just how it works. So when we designed the system there, we wanted to make sure that we have the right people in there to take care of the soldier with the right job skills. So you need physical therapists, you need occupational therapists, you need dietitians, you need strength and conditioning coaches, you need athletic trainers. And so we made sure that the system has all those people in there. Now, using models from colleges and other places we've been, we think we have the right number and the right amount. Hmm. But over the first few years of the system, that's one of the things that we have to flush out is what are the right numbers and what are the right amounts? You know, is 10 enough or do you need 12 or do you need three? 
um, and the utilization of those assets. And I, I think for the active component, the Army's made a decision um, that they're going to utilize contra a significant number of contractors for a, a relatively short period of time, three to four to five years. And we're going to start growing our own in, in terms of the military occupational specialty so that at the very least we can um, supplement, if not replace, the strength and conditioning folks uh, at, at the unit level. Um, and, and so we'll always see some of the, um, uh, uh, some of the strength and conditioning uh, individuals who, who are at the, the higher end of the, uh, of the performance spectrum staying in the units to help with the, the, the young soldiers that process through this military occupational specialty. But ultimately, we, we want to see that transition for a couple of reasons, one of which is a little bit of finance. But the second reason is we, we want that individual to be able to deploy with their unit so that when I'm downrange, I can I can adapt my training program to the environment that I'm in there. But I can also then serve in significantly other ways, um, you know, uh, while we're deployed. So. Uh, that, that, that's an important part of the H2S system also. So in talking about that H2S system, like like you were saying, Mr. McGirt, the whole piece of that puzzle, and going to kind of the conversation we were having before we started filming, what's, uh, you know, does the H2S system help, you know, address some of the issues we've seen in the military today, such as, um, such as suicide, where we, you know, we have these 22 a day, um, instances and, and how does that support that system or how does that support that issue that the military is facing? Yeah, so when we developed the H2F system, uh, we certainly thought about uh, the other ways it would help the Army uh, because there's a number of other problems, uh, suicide, drug use, alcoholism, uh, you know, uh, different behaviors that are, that are unacceptable. Um, and all the research shows us behind us that um, all of those things can generally be improved uh, through a regular uh, program uh, and through support programs. And so one of the things that this does offer is a uh, another touch point, a better opportunity to access these soldiers, talk with these soldiers in a much less threatening, less intimidating environment mm. and with easier access to some of the professionals. So if you have a, a occupational therapist or a chaplain or someone like that that's helping you out, that's there with you, uh, it may provide an opportunity for them to intervene uh, at an appropriate point to talk with you and help you through some of these uh, challenges that come up for all of us. Hmm. You know, speaking of resources available to soldiers, within the H2F system, kind of this revolutionary approach, what are some of those uh, specific resources that are available to soldiers? And how, you know, how, can, how will soldiers be able to access those in the programs fully implemented? So the first thing is the new doctrine. So FM722 is out. Um, you can find it online. You can download it. Um, it is the first time that a lot of these things that we've talked about has actually been codified and written in one place and has a doctrinal basis behind it. We all knew sleep was important, right? But sleep wasn't in doctrine. Hmm. Um, we all knew some of these other things were important, but they weren't in doctrine. Now they are, so commanders can, you know, put them on the training schedule, help get after them and everything else. In addition to that, there's two guides that came out. There's a testing guide and a training guide, and we spent, um, a lot of money and thousands of videos are actually behind it now. Hmm. So when you want to do something or an exercise in the in the manual, there'll be a hot link that you can click on in the manual, uh, in the online version, and it'll take you to a video and see that. So that's kind of a pretty amazing uh, pretty cool. thing to have for a start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that will help inform, uh, especially circumstances where individuals aren't uh, coalesced around an installation or a camper post so they you know can can use and click into that you could almost work it into an app environment so that they could see what right looks like for those exercises uh, and and kind of distribute that at the, the lower level so and and because we're the government um, everything we've created is public license hmm. um, so I think what you're gonna see is a, a lot of people developing apps off our work uh, because they can use all our videos, of course, if they choose to, because they're free. Uh, so, so then kind of talking about that and, and the app development and some of the third party systems, obviously, 
with the guard, we're going to see a very different approach with H2F that you can react on it where we only see soldiers, you know, one week in a month, a couple weeks a year for annual training. You know, from your work with the guard liaison folks and whatnot, you know, how will, how is the guard getting after H2F and what do you think that's going to look like as compared to the active component? So I, I, I think the guard is figuring it out uh, as all of us are. And there's different approaches uh, in each state, in each area. Okay. A lot of places are partnering with the local educational facilities. I want to say Iowa um, got permission to use all the state athletic fields uh, with the Department of Education uh, for their like ACFT testing, mm-hmm. you know, free uh, given to them. I know that Georgia has a big partnership with one of the local universities. South Carolina has uh, partnered with the schools and with the Citadel um, to get after some of these things. So. It's a matter of having things available locally. Um, we're also all looking at um, developing more national level partnerships. Uh, the active duty army has a program right now with the YMCA that allows uh, soldiers to use the YMCA uh, facilities uh, when they're not near a military installation, uh, installation for the active army. Uh, we'd like to explore expanding that or a program like that uh, for the guard and reserve as well. And in particular, Georgians, as I mentioned earlier, there's several states that are leaning forward really actively. And, uh, you know, you look at Georgia and South Carolina in particular, they've, you've probably heard of silver sneakers. I think Michael uses the term, you know, brown boots or muddy boots program so that you actually have uh, an organization that is providing access to soldiers at a nominal reduced or no cost that allows them to work out in, in in their, you know, where they live and work, uh, ostensibly for free, and and that's the type of, of bedrock uh, environment we need to put, you know, guard and reserve soldiers into, and and then we need to give them uh, either direct access to. Uh, other professionals who can help with the nutrition and the sleep and those types of things. Yeah, that's what I was kind of curious about, just because, you know, from the guardsman's perspective, right, we have like 50% of the combat power, but like so far reduced touch points with soldiers, since a lot of them, it's just, it's their secondary job, you know. So, so you think of, you know, all the bad things that happened in 2020, there's some good things. Um, I think we've gotten much more creative uh, and much more comfortable with virtual uh, help. Um, if you had asked me uh, a year and a half ago, hey, can you coordinate, you know, this topic across, you know, all three components with 20 staff sections without ever being in the same room? You'd be like, uh, no, you know, we need to sit down and hammer this out. Um, but we figured out you can do it that way. Um, so one of the things that we're going to uh, look at doing is you could schedule things uh, with a lot of these systems. You could say, hey, Monday night is uh, dietitian night. And every Monday night, there's a Zoom call in South Carolina with a dietitian online and you can zoom into the meeting and ask questions, you know, get answers to things or they can present something to the whole group. And your participation is voluntary. Um, It really won't cost, it doesn't cost a lot of money for anybody to set up something like that now. And people are much more used to doing those types of things now. So I think we'll see things along those lines happen. I mean, you still need personal contact. but, but there are some substitutes sometimes when that's not available. And we've actually seen, I think it was, I think it was West Virginia, it may have been Virginia, uh, where they piloted an app that identified um, soldiers in their AO, in their, where they live and work. And basically what they found out was, I'm gonna go out for a run today. And so they, you know, hit their app button and said, I'm getting ready to go for a run. And three or four other people said, hey, I need to go for a run too. So I'll meet you at the park and we'll go for a run together. And so I, I think we're going to see that uh, these these platforms out there are going to be great extenders, especially for uh, soldiers that are disparately located. So. so shifting gears to talk about the ACFD, the fitness test, you know, works in conjunction with the, with the, H2F program, a system, you know, focused on soldier lethality and performance. Are they, are these two systems related and integrated? And if so, how does the ACFT complement the 
H2F system as a whole. So holistic health and fitness system, uh, army combat fitness test program. So the army combat fitness test is one of the measurement tools. If your H2F program is or system is working. Okay. So it would be the physical component of the H2F system is best measured. We believe by the army combat fitness test. And I, and I think what we'll see over the next five to 10 years, um, there's a lot of interest in assessments that are are more occupationally centric. In other words, it's a test you take in, you know, OCP boots and some type of a modified fighting load. Um, kind of the way the Marines do it with a PFT and a CFT. Um, so the ACFT is kind of this initial uh, launch into a physical assessment. Um, that does a couple of things. It is an H2F metric, but it also is a driver for training. So, and the really good news is it's comprehensive enough that if you train in the components of fitness associated with the ACFT, you're gonna be in, in pretty good shape and, and, and able to do your, your mission regardless of, of, of where you are. Um, I, I do think um, we'll, we'll see things evolve. It, it's, it's certainly not perfect. Um, and and what what we need to do is con to continually refine that over the years. So one of the the very smart things Army leadership did when they named the test was they renamed it as we launched it from ACFT to ACFT 2.0. And it may sound like something really simple, but if you look at the APFT, it actually went through five or six different iterations. But you don't know when they happened or what the changes were. Yeah, it was just always the APFT. So now we'll have ACFT 2.0, and much like your operating system on your phone evolves to, you know, 8.0, 9.0, 9.1. So we're going to have ACFT 2.0, and next year we may have ACFT 2.1 or 2.5 or 3.0, depending on the magnitude of the changes. Mm -hmm. and, and that sets us up to progressively change the test as we learn and go forward and make it very clear to everyone exactly where we are with the changes. And I think people are a lot more accepting of going from ACFT 2.0 to 2.1 or 2.2 than they are from going to ACFT to some other acronym that they don't even know what it is. It just makes it easier to manage the change. So from a soldier's point of view, going back to soldiers at the line units mm -hmm. in some capacity, you know, how do they stay prepared for, you know, I guess the ACFT 2.0 right now you know, as if we anticipate it changing and evolving and stuff like that. Which so if they get a copy of 722 and with the drills and exercises and follow it A to Z, you'll be fine. Okay. But, you know, as I always say, test day should be your easy day, right? Okay. So test day is just, it's an easy day because all we did was run two miles that day. So so if, if soldiers are in a regular fitness program that has the tenants that we talk about in H2F, that's uh, progressive, that um, you know, goes after the different components of fitness that goes after the different muscles in the body, uh, which goes after what they need to do to get in shape. Uh, I think they'll be fine. The thing that I really like about the ACFT is when you take the six events, the areas you need to practice on become very evident because they're the ones that you didn't score very well on. And they're very distinct areas in most cases. Mm -hmm. So it can tell you where you need to focus your training to improve in your overall fitness. So I, I think in terms of where you're asking bell drills, common soldier tests, that we've grossly underestimated the requirements for strength and power. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not at all, uh, I, I don't want us to misconstrue that, that uh, aerobic endurance isn't important. It's, it's an incredibly important, um, both from a metabolic and a performance standpoint. But we've, we've never, uh, address the strength and power. And if you go back and look at the technical report for the baseline study, what you'll see is, is the first three, four events um, were strength and power events. They were sled push, sled drag, power throw, deadlift, and then two mile run. Um, and, and uh, you know, kind of leg tuck fits in there uh, along the way. But um, it, it's, it's really important that and and a lot of that training, uh, while true, I can do it easier in a gym somewhere that's fully 
you know, uh, uh, can accommodate all the training needs I have. I can do a lot of that at home. I mean, I've personally kind of quit going to the gym and with a, 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 a treadmill and a stepper and a set of kettlebells and, and dumbbells, you can do a lot of damage and training for the ACFT. So I, I, I think most individuals will take that responsibility uh, you know, on themselves and, and develop a, a routine that works for them. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand you there. I did a killer kettlebell workout the other day. I was Oh, yeah, I think one of the best quotes we had was, it was very early in the process uh, when we asked people about their fitness and a quote came back from a young captain in the reserves that was deployed and he said, hey, look, I'm one of those guys that could get a 300 on the old PT test pretty much any day. I could just roll out of bed, go take the test and get a 300. But when I was deployed, we were in a mountain environment and I was wearing body armor and I came to a, a six foot wall and I had to get up and over that wall. And I realized I didn't have the strength and the muscles I needed to do that kind of combat motion. And the test had kind of failed me when I needed it the most. And I think what they really like about the new test is the types of things that you're learning to do and the motions you're learning uh, are ones that could conceivably save your life someday. Um, and that level of fitness is important for all soldiers because as we've evolved over 40 years of combat, uh, for 40 years since the last test, about 20 years in combat here, we now pretty much all realize now that that the uh, the when and the how and what's going to happen in combat is very unpredictable for us now. And so it's important for everybody to be in shape and be ready. So we talked, you talked about the ACFT being, you know, the physical mm -hmm. component of the H2F system, measuring that. Uh, you know, what are some other ways that you would say that you measure the H2F system yeah. So uh, the height weight program. Okay. Um, so we're hoping to see some changes in that. And we're looking at uh, some of the, the, the biologic changes that occur uh, with increased fitness and stuff. But we would hope as soldiers learn how to eat better, um, we would see um, declining rates in enrollment in Army Body Composition Program, right? They would get healthier, less fat, uh, better diets. Um, as they sleep better, um, we would hope that we would see things like accident rates and things like that, you know, decline as they make better judgments. Um, we would hope that some of the things, like you mentioned before, um, we hope that suicide and uh, drug and alcohol offenses uh, would decrease as well. Um, it'll be hard to tie them directly to a single individual or program, but we think globally we'll see that improvement. So, so I think th part of the answer to that question is, um, we're not really sure exactly what works yet. We, we kind of know what's out there, that we have uh, the tools that are out there that we can access. And we need to work our way through what works with soldiers, especially uh, in different environments. But for example, we may do some diet recall type things. There may be some folks that are interested in that in terms of, of, of body weight or body management. Um, Clearly, we could be doing sleep logs in terms of just simply getting up in the morning and go, hey, I slept four hours last night or I slept eight hours last night. Um, there are a myriad of, of kind of lifestyle types of things. So I, I, I have a, a, a scorecard that I obtained from another organization. Um, and when they work out, they record their workout on there. But down at the bottom, it had three little questions with little smiley faces like, how do you feel today? Or, you know, and you just circle one of the little smiley faces and or 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 picked a number. Some of those things are pretty powerful. Um, and so we're we're in the process of bringing to bear um, all of the individuals in the army who are experts in all of these components of the system, and they're going to help us eventually refine this to the point where it's it's really usable for almost more like a data-driven approach sure a bit. absolutely so one of the things that i sometimes am good at is is comparing to other things and i mentioned you know maintenance systems and things like that so would you say there's a value to a college education sometimes i mean absolutely okay but what was the one course that makes a difference well, that's a good point Okay. It's not one yeah. course. It's it's the 15 courses that you took at college, that, the combined effect, the synergistic effect. You know, there, there may be one course you took that kind of turns your life around. Maybe it was, you know, 
you know, introduction to modern interpretive dance was what really made it for you. But, you know, there, there's there's the courses that really help and the things you do. We're looking at other things. Uh, we have a yoga pilot going on right now. Uh, we're looking at yoga and mindfulness. Is that something that we want to bring more into the program? We're open to other ideas to what are the things that contribute to this. But we know that it's a synergistic effect that we're after when you put not just one program, but you put eight, 10, 12 programs together uh, with some governance and oversight and supervision that, that you can get a much better overall effect, a kind of holistic approach to it, maybe. So going, turning back to the guard there a little bit then. So we have, you know, like, for instance, even in my home guard unit, right? I think just in, just in my company there, I've got two individuals that own their own CrossFit gyms, a couple other personal trainers of some sort. So, we, so in guard formations, there tends to be, because everyone has their civilian crews, a decent number of people, especially in like the line units, right, that uh, that have those kind of more, you know, strength and conditioning backgrounds, right? Is there any way that the HQS system is looking at like trying to coordinate, you know, within guard formations, um, some of those expertise that that exists within the guard already um, and leveraging it, you know, as we implement a new system. I'd say we're looking at it, but cautiously. Um, there were a lot of guys in my guard unit that were hunters. I'm not sure I wanted them teaching me rifle marksmanship with the M16. You know, I mean, you have some skills that are very transferable, other ones that aren't quite so transferable. Um, we don't endorse or non-endorse any specific program as a government entity. We're very mm -hmm. careful about that. Uh, but what we do look is for people with uh, proper certifications, proper training, and proper background. Um, because the last thing you want to do is get someone up there that doesn't know what they're doing and hurt somebody. Yeah. So I think the the the, the upside of uh, of that question is. Um, most folks believe that the MOS is the way to go, that, that that's going to be another uh, sea change for the, the Army in terms of, of, of how we train and, and how we uh, develop and care for soldiers. And you're talking about the H2F trainer. Right, H2F trainer. But, but that's going to be a while. I mean, that's, that's a, at, in a best case scenario, probably 2005, 2006, 2007. It's, it, it takes a while to make that happen. 26, so, 20, 25, 26. So in the interim, <laughs> in the interim, uh, I, 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 what we are planning right now is to look at uh, expanding and, and developing a, a little bit more comprehensive program in the master fitness trainer type of scenario. So the individuals that you're talking about are individuals who hopefully, and I, I know this is hard for uh, Compo 2 and 3, to, to be able to to go to a school for four to six to eight weeks to get a, a and, and to, to leverage their existing um, uh, knowledge, skills and abilities to, 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 you know, round that out at the school, get the certification there and perhaps a, 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 another certification from some other organization. Uh, so that they can go back and, and be that point person for their unit. Um, so I, we're hopeful to see that that change evolve as we're at the master fitness trainer certification will n really never go away. We will always need those individuals because even in a best case scenario, we're probably only talking about, you know, one MOS per company. Uh, and, and so we're going to need those uh individuals down at the platoon level to, to, to help leverage that MOS. So um, the way I like to look at the MOS uh, going forward is uh, if you think along the lines of medics, so we have medics, right? Mm -hmm. And then we have combat lifesavers in the units that are uh, multipliers for the medics. Mm -hmm. So what we think is going to happen in the future is the H2F uh, person that school trained will kind of be like the medic. And then he'll have master fitness trainers uh, that will be the extenders for him. Mm -hmm. So people in the unit will go to the master fitness course, um, you know, and be it a four-week course or a six-week course or an eight-week course. Um, that won't award them the MOS. That'll make them assistant instructors for the MOS uh, that we have. And 
we're not 100% positive on the MOS now, but we think we want to manage it somewhat similar to the way we do recruiting in that you would come into the Army and you'd be in another MOS for four or five years um, or some period of time. And then probably as a, as a junior NCO, E5 sergeant, you would transition into the H2F MOS. Uh, you'd do a tour in that MOS, uh, utilization tour. And at the end of that utilization tour, we'd like there to be a dual decision where you decide you want to stay in that field or go back to your original MOS. And we decide we want to keep you in that field, hmm. um, which is what we do with recruiters right now. And we're working hard on career progression. We're working hard on... Uh, it, it's, it's basically trying to provide soldiers that want to stay in that for some period of time, uh, a, uh, an avenue to progress throughout their career. The other thing that's really important about that is relative to the future soldier. I mean, you guys live that every day, but if I'm an active component and I'm trying to get out and now I'm trying to be employed, if I'm in this MOS and I have these certifications and I have this actual hands-on experience, I'm going to be incredibly marketable when I go out onto the uh, open net. For sure. That's like, that's a big thing right now. So Mr. McGurk, Dr. East, thank you so much for spending some time and sharing some of your wisdom and thoughts with us. Hey, thanks. It's been our pleasure to be here. And I just want you to know, we really appreciate the partnership that we've had from the Guard uh, from day one. Same for me. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. If you would like more information on any of the topics discussed today, please visit our social media pages in the links below. Tune in to Leaders Recon over the next few weeks as we bring in today's leaders and pioneers to discuss their experiences, share their wisdom, and help you grow as a leader in today's Army National Guard. If you like this episode of Leaders Recon, please subscribe below and leave us a five-star review. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. See you next time.